Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Scott McCrady, CEO of Soul Cyber, a modern MSSP that's raised $20 million in funding. Scott, thanks for joining me today. Brett, thanks for having me. So to kick things off, can we start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, sure, of course. You know, I don't know if my background is typical or not, but uh, engineer coming out of university, I was deploying networking gear, uh, Novell Networks way back in the day, and uh, ended up moving over to security, which I found fascinating. So firewall deployments, IDS systems, all that. And at the time, nobody knew what to do with the data coming off these things. And so that's ironically how I got into managed security services was I was actually working for EDS and there was a just a question around like, what do we do with the data? So these things send off you know alerts and firewall logs, all this noise. And at the time, managed security services was sort of new. And so ironically, uh, that sort of was my first foray because we had to build out a quote unquote SOC even though we didn't know what to call it back then. But we had to build out something that collected all this information and had people that could look at the information and obviously respond to, to what was happening. So backgrounds engineering, got super lucky, got to live in Sydney for four years and build out APJ for uh, an MSSP. Uh, lived in Singapore, lived in London. So done a lot of international work and uh, I live in Dallas now, but it's been, a, it's been a good career. Nice, that's amazing. And a few other questions we'd like to ask. And the goal here is really just to better understand what makes you tick. First one, mm-hmm. CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about that? Yeah, great question. You know, it's there's obviously a couple that always just jumped to mind and I think it's probably like topical as far as uh, um, when we when we were raised or our age group. But Steve Jobs read the autobiography, amazing autobiography, but his ability to be transformational across multiple industries was I it was just something as a younger person you're just like, wow, how how do you have that capability? And I think when I talk about you know, visionaries or who people that you try to emulate and Steve Jobs comes up a lot for me. It's this idea that Sony was actually in a position to be the leader in the portable music entertainment device space, right? They had Sony Entertainment, Sony Pictures, Sony Music, and then Sony Walkman. But Steve Jobs was able to have that unique vision that pulled together the iTunes, iPhone, you know, iPads, all the whole, the whole thing and bring that ecosystem together. So that ability to sort of see around the corner and then obviously the ability to execute was, you know, really unique. What about books and the way we like to frame this? And, you know, this is from Ryan Holiday. He calls them quake books. So a quake book is a book that like rocks you to your core. It really influences how you think about the world and approach life. Do any quake books come to mind? There are a bunch. You know, when I was younger, it was a lot of just like positive thinking and just it's like how to get ahead. But I, I was raised in a very traditional middle class, you know, lower middle class family, uh, great parents, but, you know financially, I had to sort of pay my way through college and all that stuff. Um, and so when I was younger, a lot of books just on sort of how to get that drive. And if you want to be successful, what do you need to do? But as I got older, it sort of changed a little bit. And this concept, I think of this concept of duality, which is really lost, I think, a lot in the world as we move into this sort of binary conversation, it seems like almost everywhere. But I love the book, which is uh, The Power of Positive Thinking. And at the same time, only the paranoid survive. Because I think you really do have to sort of live in these two worlds of constantly be seeing what is it that needs to change in order to continue to drive success and not get, you know, eaten by the next predator. 
while at the same time sort of have that relentless positivity that allows for some level of energies to come together with different people. Obviously, people like to be around positive people. People get behind people that have a positive vision for the world. So this duality of this concept of you got to sort of always be on your toes, but at the same time, you got to have a positive vision, I think is something that is really helpful in the business world and in life generally. I love packaging those two books together. I feel like that's a good strategy there. Now, let's switch gears and let's talk about the company. So Soul Cyber, can you talk us through what the company does exactly? And let's maybe pretend that I'm a potential customer. What's the pitch? Yeah, sure. I grew up in the managed security services world. And so depending on the level of understanding of security, we dive into sort of deeper levels when it comes to Soul Cyber. But the easiest summary is the fact that we've had the same security model for 20 years, and it's not really working very well as the breaches don't seem to be slowing down. And that model is basically... You know, someone like yourself, Brett, you've got to go out and you got to find, you've got to understand what the latest threats are, what the latest compliance regulatory bodies now require of you as an organization. Then you got to weed your way through 4,500 vendors to figure out which ones solve from a purely tooling standpoint, the challenges that you're facing. You then have to have the right people to deploy those, manage them, use the right policies. And then all of those things kick off a bunch of data. That data has got to be consumed by somebody or an entity or service and then let you know when something bad's happening. And then you have to have the intelligence, the smarts, and the time to go solve that problem, right? That model is fundamentally broken. And, you know, I spent 20 years in the managed security services space. We were on the far edge of that, which was, Brett, you go build everything yourself. And once that's done, you send us the data. And then we'll let you know when we think something may or may not be bad happening. And then you work your way through those alerts. And then you try to solve it. And if you're, you know, a super large bank or super huge manufacturer, then maybe that works. But even there, it doesn't work particularly well. So the concept behind Soul Cyber is what we just call a security program as a service, right? Or security program subscription. It's taking the lessons learned from doing managed security services for 20 years, watching, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of companies be breached and just recognizing that there's three things that you have to have in order to secure an organization. You have to have like, it's a very boring term, but like a concept of operations. Basically, how do you run this thing and how do you do that consistently? You have to have the right set of tools in the right locations and deployed and used properly. And then you have to have that data hung together in a way that allows you to track adversaries sort of from start to finish. And more importantly, be able to respond, kick them back out, quarantine them, contain them so that the organization is protected and get back by their daily life. And so that's really what Soul Cyber is, is we target the mid-market and help them have a security program at a monthly fee that's very, very cost-effective, but also is world-class. And that's, that's the goal. And I saw on your LinkedIn, it's the first modern MSSP. What's a traditional MSSP look like? Can you talk us through that just for those who aren't familiar? Sure. Traditional MSSP, you've got a bunch of security technology in an organization. All that technology generates uh, data. That data goes out to an MSSP. The MSSP runs it through a set of correlations and analytics. And then it defines the data that they've looked at and said, okay, we think this one is an emergency. We think this one's critical. We think this one's informational. And they send that data to the customer, and then the customer needs to do something with that. And then the customer, the tricky part then is the customer has to weed through these informational, warning, critical alerts, and then go try to figure out if they're real or not. And so that model, again, is effective for large enterprises. It is very, very difficult for small, medium enterprises. Can you give us an idea of the growth and traction that you've seen since launching? Well, we're a small company and we're relatively new to the market. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're doing really, really well from a pure percentage standpoint. You know, we're, well, geez, I don't know, we five or six X last year. We'll do that again this year. The overall industry, the traditional MSSP industry is about a 14% uh, 
compound annual growth rate industry. And so, you know, we fully expect to double and triple for, you know, three or four more years to come. And the reason there is we really do think our model is going to be the model that everybody sort of ends up on. And Brett, the easiest way to think about it is, is if you're a small company, you don't have lawyers anymore, right? You have an outsourced lawyer. You don't go hire a lawyer. You don't build a law program. You don't build a sales program. Like you don't use Salesforce as your only program, right? You you buy it as a tool and then you get other people to help you. You don't do your own HR or payroll anymore, right? That's all outsourced. And so we think that just like you have a HR program or legal program, and those are outsourced entities that you manage, we believe that the security program as a subscription is going to be what everybody goes to. And then we just get managed by the internal, you know, IT and C-level staff. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Is there a point in a company's size and scale where it does make sense for them to have this you know, be something that's in-house? Yeah, I think traditionally when you start getting above maybe around 10,000 employees, it may make sense. Our largest customer is about 6,500 employees. We spend most of our time in the 200 to 1,000 seats or employees. You know, when you get above 10,000 employees, it may make sense to try to do this yourself. But the reality is even there, it's not easy, right? Because everybody gets, you know, dragged onto different projects. And so we're starting to actually see some interest from larger companies that are basically saying, hey, we can do it. The demands on our time are such that it would probably make more sense to outsource this to someone so that we can go figure on like DevSecOps or embedding uh, security into the solutions that we present to our customers versus internal IT security. And last year I went to Black Hat, this year I was at RSA and when I was walking around, I was just thinking, wow, there's a lot of vendors here, a lot of companies (laughs) kind of saying the same thing. So what are you doing to rise above all that noise that exists in this space? Man, that may be the best question of the day there. It's a real big challenge because there is so much just pure noise out in the market that I think from a customer standpoint, it's really easy to get vendor fatigue and everyone is saying the same thing. Now, we use the tools that you see at Black Hat and RSA. So we're using tools that literally Fortune 500 companies use. We just package them into a service that allows customers to sort of have to, you know, allow them to get that off their plate. And so we spend a lot of time trying to just get the message out there that, you know, we all know it, like there's no silver bullet in security. Each tool works in its own way and it's got to perform to its task, but it's got to be hung together across your entire group of tooling and in a consistent process in order to have it be effective, right? Like, you know, if you put up nine out of 10 pieces of fence and four of them aren't put up the correct way and five of them are put up the right way and then one of them's not even put up properly, so there's a gap. That is not a solid fence. And generally speaking, that's what we see across most of the industry is some really good tools, some not so great tools, and not all of them deployed and used consistently, and it leads to gaps. And what does your technology look like then? Is there technology that you're building that you you use to run this whole service more efficiently, or what is that technology piece? We spend almost all of our money on two components, which is integrations Mm -hmm. and on presentation layer. So the ability to actually have all the tools talk to each other and actually be able to follow a threat, you know, sort of from start to finish is a combination of tools that we buy and then tools that we use to integrate all those tools. So we're not building our own, you know, endpoint solution. There's 
back in the day, maybe you would, but in today's world, the endpoint technologies are so good and they're relatively cost-effective at scale that it doesn't make sense. And then the other thing we do is a presentation layer. So we spend a lot of time building out you know, portal and dashboarding and reporting that allows customers to see their security and what's happening. But more importantly is actually the business aspect too. So we do integrations with like insurance, risk data, because in the real world, 5% of the time, you really need somebody like, you know, taking care of an attacker. The other 95% of the time, you know, we call that peacetime. You're just trying to improve your security posture and you want to be able to see like, okay, if, if we're doing the right things, how's that impacting risk scores, uh, my cyber insurance policy, my pricing, things along those lines. I mentioned there in the intro that you've raised 20 million so far. What have you learned about fundraising? <laughs> um, that uh, it changes depending on the environment. Um, I think I knew that before, but you obviously, you know, you know you, you're going through the current situation. You know, fundraising is, to me, it's a, it's a two-step process, which is, is there vision match around what you're trying to accomplish? And then two, do you have the data to back up the business plan, right? And so the longer you're in business, obviously, the easier it is to see the business plan. That's why, you know, people look at Apple and they invest in it because they raise funds every day in the public market and it's pretty easy to see their track record. So if you back that up all the way to a startup, there's not a track record of data. So those two things are really important. And of course, the further you get down the track as a business, the more you have to show that your vision is what the market wants and your ability to execute on that vision is consistent, smart, uh, financially viable. Let's imagine you were starting the company again today from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice you give yourself? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. I think we would, we offer the security program as a subscription. That's the core service. And that is something that people love. But we see a lot more people being interested in what we call like bridging services. They're like, hey, I just need this one thing today and, and I love this idea, so we'll buy it for me in six months. And so we'd probably be a little bit more aggressive on being open to bridging services, especially when downturns happen. This is my third major downturn I've been through. You know, companies just sort of pull back on the spending significantly. And so the ability to say, hey, let's transform you from not really having anything or much at all to a really solid program is something that continues to get really good mindshare but it's taking, it takes longer, obviously, in a downturn to get that across the finish line. Um, and I think bridging services would probably make that a little bit easier, which we do see that happening. Uh, we probably could have leaned in on that a little earlier. And final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years from today. What's that high-level vision that you're building? Yeah, and I said it earlier. I really, I really do think that the entire industry is going to end up doing what we're doing because it's happened in, you know, it's not like Scott McCready is Nostradamus here. But it's happened in literally almost every other industry. So if you think about running your business, these components of the business that are not core to what you're doing to make money have all been outsourced. And so one of the things that's not, I mean, even your IT systems, right? We all remember the days of buying hundreds of Dell servers and buying software and orchestration layers. Then we had engineers to run those Dell servers. And now we just use AWS, right? <laughs> or Azure. And so even your IT has been outsourced into this outcome-based model. Ironically, security is one of the last vestiges of build it yourself, manage it yourself, do it yourself locations in a non-core service offering. And so my view and my vision in three to five years is everybody's like, oh, security programs service, totally normal. Like today we get some people that are like, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Where have you been all my life? I want to buy it now. All the way to why would I ever give up my security? I, I do security. And it feels very similar to the cloud migration conversations we were all having like 10 years ago, which was like, 
I've got a thousand Dell servers. Why would I, why would I ever move off of those and move to the cloud? And it feels very similar uh, in that matter. Amazing. I love the vision, Scott. All right, we are up on time, so we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if any founders listening in want to follow along with your journey, where should they go? Sure. Easiest thing, uh, soulcyber.com, S-O-L, no U, S-O-L-C-Y-B-E-R.com. Awesome. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it. All right, take care. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.